0: Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond Aromatics Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Rose. For each episode of this podcast, we interview a member from the field of holistic aromatherapy about the work they do, the research they find, and how they incorporate essential oils in their lives and practice. This podcast is brought to you by the National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy. To learn more about the work we do at NAHA, how to get a hold of our quarterly aromatherapy journals, how to attend our monthly webinars, or how to sign up for our 2020 Beyond Aromatics Conference held in Salt Lake City, Utah, October 14th through 17th, please visit our website at www.naha.org or you can find us on Facebook at Aromatherapy Community or on Instagram at Beyond Aromatics. Alright, here's this week's episode. On today's episode, we have on special guest, Dr. Jesse Hawkins. Dr. Hawkins holds a bachelor's degree in environmental health from the Union Institute and University, a master's degree in health and education and promotion from the University of Alabama, and a PhD in health research from Middle Tennessee State University, in addition to numerous certifications in a range of natural health fields, including aromatherapy, aromatic medicine, herbalism, childbirth education and labor support she has been an integrative health professional for nearly 20 years and has written eight popular books on natural health topics she is the director of the franklin institute of wellness and their research team and in addition to teaching their research classes she travels the globe to present on their research all right enjoy the show today I have on Dr. Jessie Hawkins from the Franklin Institute of Wellness. Dr. Hawkins is doing a segment for us called the Research Files with her team at the Franklin Institute. And um, for a while now, they've been studying the use of essential oils and the potential for them to be endocrine disruptors in children. And we had her on a few months ago to discuss the research project they launched to um, take that research a little further and up into the next level. And you can always go back in our feed and listen to that. I believe that that was episode two all the way back in April. Um, but we have her back on because there have been um, some new findings and some new research that just came out. Um, and we wanted to also update you on her own research and where that uh, project has led. So Dr. Hawkins, thank you for being with here with us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So
0: let's just jump right in. Tell us about this new this new finding, this new research that came out.
1: Yeah, so a couple of months ago, I think it is now, um, and, and it was a study that we were kind of anticipating coming. It had been presented uh, spring of 2018, but kind of vaguely without a lot of details. And so the actual publication came out uh, a couple of months ago, fall of, of 2019, and really dramatically increased the application of the claim about lavender and tea tree essential oils. Um, they report quite a few more children, quite a few more case studies, and started to kind of take it away from just prepubertal boys and prepubertal gynecomastia to both boys and girls. And so now they're talking about breast growth in prepubertal girls as well. And so they introduced several cases of that that were described. And they also expanded the root. So now we're not just talking about lavender and tea tree in personal care products, but there was actually a case of a child who was exposed through inhalation in the classroom. So, pretty significant advances in the, the claims about what lavender and tea tree can do. Um, which, of course, you know, demands a pretty significant response, in my opinion.
0: Right. Did anything change from their previous findings besides the increase in case studies? Did they narrow down any fields of what types of um, ways that these uh, children were using essential oils or what types of essential oils were being used, specifically brands?
1: No, they actually just enhanced everything. So they expanded What they're pinpointing versus kind of narrowing it down to get more precise which is kind of the opposite of what we want to do to improve public health we want to narrow it down and say you know clearly a lot of people are using these oils clearly a lot of people are not experiencing this outcome so what's going on Um, versus trying to you know apply it across the board to everyone so it really reflects more of an expansion than progress Interesting. And what kind of implications does, does, does has this been having for people um,
0: inside and outside the world of aromatherapy?
1: I haven't actually seen very much inside the world of aromatherapy. I haven't... Um, There's been a lot of conversation in terms of the industry itself, not necessarily among providers, but uh, formulators, manufacturers, suppliers, who are increasingly concerned about the expansion of these claims that are being made, Um, Outside of the world of aromatherapy, though, just in general public health, this is expanding the warnings. So now, instead of saying, you know, young boys should not be using these oils, then we're starting to see healthcare providers and we're starting to see news outlets that are expanding that to say children should not use these oils. Um, and given the fact that we're talking about endocrine disruption and hormone disruption, I would not personally be surprised at all to see that begin to quickly expand even further to talk about. Um, you know, women during the childbearing years and so on. But they're
0: not being able to narrow down that this is actually essential oils. They haven't controlled for a bunch of other aspects of what those kids might be exposed to during the day that could also lead to this. Is that correct?
1: Correct. They're actually not looking at at very much at all. Um, Our team conducted, because there's more case studies and we were able to kind of conduct a statistical analysis of the existing data, And what we found was that all of the standard procedures and norms to confirm the exposure, to quantify the exposure, things that we would expect to see to produce scientific data that we could analyze, those actually didn't take place. Um, So in a lot of instances, um, for example, one of the recent cases um, that was discussed in the most recent study, uh, they actually did identify the product and it does not include any essential oil at all. Uh, in other cases, they are not really identifying, you know, what is going on that the parents are saying they used a lavender scented product or a tea tree product, but it's not even being confirmed. Um, so th- there's really a lot of a lot of speculation and a lot of guesswork that's still out there.
0: Um, and this might be purely sp- a speculative, but does this organization that's conducting this research have anything to gain or I guess anything that is pushing them to create these findings and to draw these correlations?
1: So that's actually the fascinating part of all of this. Um, the, the research is coming from a lot of different areas. Um, And I've spoken with a lot of the researchers who are putting the information out there. Um, Some of them are providers who have just noticed this in their population and they want to get to the bottom of it. Uh, Some of it, the lab work in particular is conducted at the NIH. uh, So that's our tax dollars, hard at work for us. Um, A lot of, it's kind of across the entire country. There are practices in California and Florida, uh, researchers in the Northeast, uh, you know, kind of people pooling together and there really isn't anything to gain, uh, for them. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just kind of a hodgepodge of <laughs> bits yeah. and pieces of, of data being, you know, compiled together and published. And so what's, what's
0: your all's response to it? And maybe even the aromatherapy community as a whole, what, what have people been saying about this research that's come out?
1: So a lot of people are taking a lot of different approaches. Uh, There's, you know, everything from, you know, there's really potential for something here. We need to be concerned. People starting to update their safety recommendations all the way through to, you know, it's a conspiracy. Someone's out to get us. It's the FDA, you know, trying to shut us down sort of thing Uh, and, and all across the board. But our response to it is, you know, let's treat this like any other claim about an environmental exposure, and let's follow the data and see where they take us. And so, so far, that's what we've been doing. We've been collecting uh, cases, and that number is is rapidly growing every day. And, uh, you know, it's still too early to say with any degree of certainty, but so far, we've not found anything that that would substantiate this link. Um, so again, we're we're continuing to work with the providers who who are writing up these case reports and trying to get more information from them. Um, it is possible that there are some artificial products that might you know somehow be connected to some of these children, but we are exclusively looking at essential oils and aromatherapy, and we're unable to reproduce anything uh, that, that demonstrates that there's any sort of a relationship there. Um, So if there's not a relationship there, then, you know, it can't be a causal relationship because there's no relationship. Right. And so I guess that kind of leads into where your
0: research is at now and um, what you have coming up uh, ahead of you all.
1: Yes. So we have, um, we've made significant progress through some of the early phases of the study. Um, we've finished, and I don't recall if if the last time we spoke where we were with this part, um, but developed a we've developed a way that we can measure exposure going back over a span of 15 years. And that has always been everyone's most difficult challenge when looking at how they can confirm this. Uh, even the the providers who are conducting the case reports have expressed to me that, you know, figuring out a way to measure it. Um, a lot of people have been trying to measure, you know, actual levels in the blood, and that's, you know, essential oils don't necessarily work that way. Um, so we're actually looking at taking an epidemiological approach and looking at what products they have used. And what that does is it enables us to pinpoint down to the brand, down to the type of product, you know, wash on, inhalation, lotion, whatever, hair care, you know, because there's kind of a a spectrum there of what they've been using uh, and the duration of how long they've used that. So we've kind of perfected that approach, which is the biggest step you know, that we need to do in order to move forward. And that information has all been analyzed and is out to journals now. Um, We also conducted a review of the existing case reports and a statistical analysis, which is also in the peer review process right now. Um, We weren't actually able to conduct as many statistical analyses there as we wanted to because of a just complete and total lack of data that was being reported in these case studies. There just wasn't information there to work with. There was a lot of speculation, a lot of vague claims. Um, so that was noteworthy, we thought. And uh, then we're now moving into data collection with the children now that we know that we have a way to measure exposure accurately. And so now it's just a little bit of a waiting game as you know, these data continue to roll in and we can continue to analyze them. And then once we hit the numbers where we can say, with confidence, you know, there is or isn't a relationship. Uh, if we do find a relationship, of course, we'll figure out where it is. Um, but, you know, like I said, as of yet, we've not found uh, anything that would indicate that that there's anything here.
0: You are one of our speakers for the 2020 conference. And are there... Um, do you anticipate this research project being concluded by that time, or is this something that we'll look to continue? It'll be ongoing for years and years to kind of get a full spectrum of the effect of essential oils now that they're introduced more commonly into, you know, everyday products.
1: Yes. Yeah, so a lot of it will depend on what we ultimately find at the end. Um, if we find a relationship, then of course, we'll continue down that path and explore that you know, to figure out if it's a, you know, dose response relationship, what is the dose, what is the factor that makes certain people susceptible, and so on. Um, The original completion date, though, for the original uh, project, which includes two human studies and the development of that uh, measurement tool, um, was December of 2020. uh, But we are far ahead of schedule. Um, So there's a good chance we have the entire project wrapped up, Uh, in time. But if not, we'll be able to to at least have the early studies and the preliminary findings that we can share, even if they're not in the literature just yet. So it almost seems like in some ways
0: that the less interesting this study is, the better it looks in the fact that if we don't find correlation, it just seems like, all right, well, another uh, just another X in the box. Um, Is this, have you guys um, uncovered anything that's unique or really, I I don't know, that kind of maybe leads into another direction in research and this research?
1: So actually, no, Um, (laughs) we were hoping to, we went ahead and collected data on just about every endocrine disruption related outcome you could think of uh, because we knew that's where it was headed. We knew that they had been looking at expanding the claims. And so we wanted to preempt that and go ahead and start collecting data so that we could analyze for any of those potential claims. And, uh, you know, as of yet we're finding that people who use essential oils, uh, don't have any increased probability of any of these things. Um, so, so yeah, like you said, it's, it's pretty boring so far. <laughs> no no news is good news. Yeah. But exactly. Yeah. No news means that, you know, that's pretty safe. There's nothing there to worry about. Um, which I'm sure people interested in this podcast are
0: kind of excited to hear about if they've ever if they've invested any time into this research. Do you have anything you want to expand on?
1: Well I do want to you know kind of clarify that until we finish collecting all of the data um, and we have sufficient participants to say with you know any degree of certainty, Then, you know, it is just kind of preliminary early findings. Um, So this doesn't rule out the possibility that the study gets a lot more interesting uh, in the springtime or or we find something to pursue. Um, So I do want to kind of issue that that caveat with these that this is what we're seeing so far. Um, But we do have to do our due diligence. If it's out there, we're going to find it. Um, So that way we can say with a level of certainty, you know, we did all of the correct things, followed all of the correct steps, and it's just not here. Um, You know, we kind of don't want to be like a three-year-old looking for their shoes, you know. (laughs) I look around in just this room and I can't find them anywhere. You know, We have to do the appropriate thing to make sure that... um, you know, that the research holds up and that it meets the standards and all that. Um, But yeah, I mean, so far, so far, it's been just pretty typical, pretty standard, you know, stuff that we would expect to see. Um, We have found that uh, lavender is the most commonly used essential oil with children and tea tree is a pretty close second. Um, So, you know, in terms of finding children that are exposed, we've, we've got a bunch. Um, Right. So, so these are definitely people who are using these essential oils. And a lot of these kids are using quite a bit and we're not finding, um, so far, we're not finding anything to follow. (laughs) Right. Um, And we're looking to open up the
0: opportunity for people to donate again to the um, GoFundMe campaign we had started for you all. Um, Is this something, I I assume this is still something that people can help with. Is there anything else um, anybody who's looking to involve themselves in research can do?
1: So definitely uh, contributing to the campaign is is huge. As we get towards these last steps, it's really easy to say, you know, well, we did the work, it's done, There's there's nothing else to pursue. But a really important factor of this is that we want to be able to publish this research and make it open access, which means anyone can read it that wants mm-hmm. to read it. And that's a really expensive process to do. So we want to make sure that we don't have to cut corners, you know, towards the end of it and have to to rule that out. Cause there are several publications coming out of it and it's several thousand dollars per study to make it where people can read it for free. And I think this is where people need to be able to read for free. Yes, um, So that's huge if anyone can do that. Um, but yeah, there are also a ton of volunteer opportunities, uh, anyone in the U S um, especially people who work at medical provider offices, the faster we get the rest of these data in and hit our number, then, you know the quicker this whole study is is wrapped up and we can start analyzing and writing the publication. So anyone who works at a, a provider's office uh, either of children or of primarily parents, because we're actually collecting a lot of the data from the parents, um, reach out to us, you know, and we'll talk about ways that that we can collaborate and that, you know, we can get more information about more kids. Because we need a a really diverse group of people that represents the entire country as a whole, um, so that we can, we call it generalizability, so that we can say these findings are applicable to the whole country. Right. So we don't want it limited to just one geographic area or um, you know, just one race or just one culture. We we want a huge variety. Um so yeah, that's that's a huge need that we have too.
0: All right, that's good to know. Um mm-hmm. And I know your institution is involved in a bunch of other research projects. So I would wanted to see if you wanted to spend a minute just giving like us a headline for each one of them. And maybe people can respond with feedback about which um, project they'd like to hear more about. And we can yeah. uh, base our next research uh, segment on that topic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are in the, and I will try to go from memory here. <laughs> I so many iron. Um, We're in the data analysis process for a clinical trial on using essential oils in the first trimester. Um, That's a a hot topic area. A lot of moms are using it. There's not a lot of research on that. And so we're looking at, you know, how it can impact overall quality of life, particularly as it relates to morning sickness. Um, And then of course, screening for any sort of adverse Uh, effects from, you know, headache to fatigue, so on. Um, So that was a really exciting one that uh, findings for that will be coming out early 2020. Um, We're also analyzing one on um, stress among uh, moms that fit in the millennial age bracket, who get a lot of health and wellness information from social media, or who are involved in social media, uh, just, you know, kind of what that generational stress looks like that's, that's different, and what tools they use to cope with that, and that'll be particularly useful. Looking at how aromatherapy can play a role there, kind of identifying what the needs are. Um, so that one also is in the the data analysis phase. Um, the aromatherapy outcomes, such as grounding or uplifting,
0: be verified scientifically.
1: Yeah, so that is one um, that we are collecting data for right now. Um, that one's kind of exciting to me because. We hear so frequently, you know, these essential oils are grounding. These essential oils are uplifting, you know, all of these kind of vague terms. And then, you know, we have a lot of people who say, well, you really can't assess the effects of aromatherapy because science doesn't work that way. Um, but we actually have a lot of tools that, that do measure things. I mean, we can measure happiness. We can measure we can measure just about anything that's out there. Um, and so we're, we're going to measure it. You know, we're going to take some common essential oils and, you know, measure the before and after about, you know, can essential oils make you happier? Uh, Can they create a grounding feeling? Can they be uplifting? Can they enhance the feeling of security? Um, All of those kind of, we call it the intangible study. All of those kind of intangible benefits of essential oils, we're going to quantify those. Um, So that one's really exciting for me personally. Um, Yeah, I like that one.
0: Yeah, that was that would be a good one for um, people doing things like marketing in essential oils and aromatherapy. Um, And then you have another one: Can aromatherapy reduce anxiety in children with autism?
1: Yes, uh, that one is part of a a multi-year project um, that we've been looking at. We we've identified so far in previous work that. Uh, And it's not really surprising when we look at children on the spectrum, we know are hypersensitive to sensory exposures. Um, You know, they tend to be more picky about like labels on their clothes or their socks being just right or sounds and, and lights are, they appear stronger than normal. And we also know that during the stress response, this is something that's increased. So there's an increased sensitivity to all these sensory experiences. And, Aromatherapy is a sensory experience, so we can't take data from people who don't have that increased sensitivity and try and apply it to people who do. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we need custom research that shows you know, what works in a population that's really sensitive to smells and sights and sounds and touch. Um, so we've identified already that what works in a typical population does not work with these children. And so now we're looking at a longer term study where we look at the role of scent memory priming, where we associate it with positive experiences, and then look at what role that plays in the overall tolerance to the smell. Um, And, you know, that'll tell us a little bit more about the the process required for using aromatherapy with these children. So it's a really long study, um, but in my opinion, it's worth it because these children experience a lot of anxiety and aromatherapy is a great tool if we can just pinpoint how to use it correctly.
0: Yeah. You guys are always doing some amazing research and, uh, paving the way for the future of what, what aromatherapy can do. And, uh, I know Naha really appreciates you guys. Um, and we're looking forward to having you at, uh, the 2020 conference, um, and if you haven't gotten tickets for that yet, you can go to conference.naha.org. The early bird specials on right now till June 1st, and you'll get to see Dr. Hawkins and a lot of others from the field speak and present, um, in the beautiful city of Salt Lake. Um, and if you want to check out more that Franklin, uh, the Franklin health research and Franklin Institute of wellness is doing, you can check them out at Franklin health research. Oh, that's your research page. That's why I'm looking at that.
1: Yeah, that's a good place to send them though, franklinhealthresearch.org. Okay,
0: and then uh, just the Franklin Institute of Wellness, easy to Google, it pops Mm -hmm. right up. (laughs) So, okay, well, uh, thank you, Dr. Hawkins, for being on here today. And um, let us know uh, in the comments or by email at info at naha.org, which topics you liked and that you want to follow up on. And we will schedule another research segment um, in the podcast at a later date. Perfect. Sounds great. All right. Um, Lastly, follow us on social media at Beyond Aromatics on uh, Instagram and at Aromatherapy Community on Facebook and sign up for our email list or just check out everything we do at naha.org. All right. Have a good day.